Welcome to Smart Route, the podcast by Call Tracking Metrics, where you'll hear stories from businesses at the intersection of marketing, customer experience, and sales. We're sitting down with business leaders and industry experts to dive deep into the path they took to find success. Here are your hosts, Brandon Jordan and Peter Bacon. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today on Call Tracking Metrics Smart Route podcast. Today, we have our guest is Koslam Aslam with Solutions 8. He's here to talk to us about all things Google, AI, pricing, all that kind of stuff. Our co-host also is Brandon Jordan. Brandon and I are sharing the responsibilities of bringing these podcasts to you. What's up? What's up, everybody? How you doing? Uh, we thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited. Definitely happy to have you, man. Um, we had a chance. Again, This, you know, we, we've connected before. I'm really excited to, to speak with you. And I know we talked a little bit about the AI. So we definitely want to get, get some, some great feedback there. Um, you are a Google Ads and Analytics master, right? <laughs> so um, definitely very interested in uh, picking your brain and, and you know, being able to have some really good conversation around, around those topics there. So um, I think a, a great way to really kick off things, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your journey um, to becoming like a top Google Ads thought leader. Like, what was that like? Um, you know, how'd you start? Um, what was the process like? And then how did you get where you are now? I started my business. Dude, it's almost been 20 years. That makes me feel so old. Wow, 20 years. Yeah, I started my business in <laughs> 2006. So, so not quite 20 years, but approaching that mark. Okay. You know, like it's a rounding error. Yeah. And uh, I started building software. That's where the genesis okay. was. And, and um, I built software just because there was money in it. I had no passion for it at all. I didn't like it. I wasn't good at it. But I was a young man and I just thought like money, 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 money. I'm going to get money. That's and right. I did for a little bit. Like, you know, it was um, it was a, a pretty easy epoch at the time. Uh, I was building banking applications and uh, I was actually building banking applications for the bank that brought down Lehman Brothers. If you've ever seen The Big Short. Wow. Um, Absolutely. That, so that movie is about <laughs> one specific bank that was based here out of Arizona. They never say the name of the bank, but uh, I was building software for that bank. I was in the bank on Bank Failure Friday when the FDIC pulled in in their big black SUVs. And yeah. Outdoors. I remember that scene. Uh, yeah. yeah I, and so um, my whole world collapsed around me. And, I, and, and the thing about software, enterprise software specifically, that most people don't know is generally speaking, at least at the time, you'd get a very small nominal deposit, like 5% up front. And then the remainder was paid over milestones, generally on the back end. And so you could have a two-year build where you're just not going to get paid until the latter half of, uh, of the development process, the development cycle. And, sure. and, and the bank, my biggest client, had just been <laughs> captured, let's say. And I'm at the absolute bottom of uh, yeah. you know any level of receivership. So I just wasn't going to get paid. So I, I had to pivot. Wow, and so software led to websites, and uh, you know, from going from software to web is like the cook washing dishes. You know, that's yeah. how it felt like <laughs> exactly. because I was I was arrogant. So I was twenty when I started my business. So I was just like, oh, I can't believe I've been relegated to this. But dude, I I, I was annihilated. I lost everything. I, my house was wow. closed on. My car was wow. repossessed. I had to fire everybody who worked for me, and it was the best thing that ever happened wow. to me entrepreneurially. And if you're listening to this and you're an entrepreneur, uh sadly, it would appear as though we are moving into a macroeconomic cycle that is going to be difficult to traverse. And I'm here to tell yeah. you, I'm the, I'm the gray beard. I've done this once before. And I don't know what happens, how it happens, but it does feel like a axiom at this point. Like, I don't think we're going to avoid yeah. some level of correction. 
and it's going to be hard yep. and it's going to be stressful and it's going to be the most important best thing that's ever happened to every entrepreneur especially young entrepreneurs because making money when money's flowing is easy you can do it mm -hmm. by accident making money when money begins to be efficient which is what happens in down markets that's a sign that you actually have something and Wow. Learning to build a business in this environment means that you're actually going to have a business that can grow and scale. And that's what happened to me. I was forced in a position to where I really need to provide value, leverageable, leverageable value. Um, right. And dude, it was the best. It was the best thing that ever, ever happened to me in my entire life. I learned the value of money. I learned, um, you know, most of what you think you own, the bank actually owns. Um, that's right. And that was the that was the segue. And so you know, web became marketing. Mm -hmm. Marketing became paid ads. And I, and I, I was dragged along kicking and screaming too. It was my business partner that identified Google ads as being like the catalytic event for all of our clients. We were doing full funnel marketing and he's the one that was like, dude, everybody who's successful with us is successful on Google ads first. And that makes a lot of sense right. because what I'm doing is I'm taking my client and I'm shooting them up. I'm putting a sword in their hand. I'm throwing them in the Coliseum and I'm like, can you survive? You know, and, and, and Google is the, uh, it's the great equalizer because somebody's searching for what you sell. And if it doesn't sell, that's, what's really funny about it, man. I love it when people are like, Oh, I'm going to go test Google ads. No, you're not. Google's going to test you. Like somebody goes to Google and says, I want to buy this thing right now. And then I put them in front of your that's thing right. and they didn't buy it. Whose fault is that? You know what I mean? Like I brought no the one. horse to water. The horse didn't drink. You've got poisoned water. Like, there's something wrong. You know, your offer is wrong. The articulation yeah. of the offer is wrong. The pricing is wrong. The terms yeah. are wrong. The product is wrong. Something's wrong. So I, I love Google for that reason. I'm not going to tell you it's the end all, the be all. I don't, dude, I run a Google ads agency. I own one of the top Google ads agencies in the world, or I did until I sold it in October. Uh, and Google isn't my number one lead acquisition. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yeah, absolutely. Google's not in my... Google's not in my top three lead acquisition tools personally. And, you know, we spend 200 wow. grand a month in, in Google. But where it's not the, the, the best or the most important, it's the first. It's where first. you can see, oh, in this commoditized ecosystem, in this competitive environment where markets are efficient, can I compete? And if the answer is no, that doesn't mean give up. It just means, okay, you have a data point that lets you know here at the extreme bottom of the funnel, you're, you're never going to make ends meet. So you have to go get creative. That was that was a bit of a departure from your question, but I, you know, feel free to cut. No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. And, and, and you, you see, you see me. I'm just. I'm listening. I'm taking it all in because um, I think everybody needs that 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 motivation, right? Especially, you know, you talked about the the possible correction that that we may, we may have we may have to deal with, and you know, in checking your offer, right? Anybody can make money when when revenue when 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 the money's flowing. Right. But you really test yourself, test your offering when you know when that when that correction comes. So no, I appreciate it. Um, it's definitely it's definitely right on track. Um, speaking of the economy, right? You know, everyone's saying you know these days you know in this economy, like as a joke, um, you know. But you know, the economy and our budgets are really top of mind um, for for so many of us, right? So as you know, the cost of ads really keep going up, uh, and then there's more competition in just about every industry. So could you just kind of share some of like your own business hacks for keeping ad costs low without sacrificing results in the economy or in this economy sure. particularly? Well, so my response is yeah. going to be petulant, Brandon. I hope you'll forgive me. Okay. Uh, trying to I keep will. ad costs <laughs> low is trying to keep the price of stocks low. You can't do it. There you go. You can't do it. Like yeah. you, what, what, yeah. what you have to yeah. do is you have to build your business around what the prices end up being. Uh, it's an organic mm -hmm. ecosystem. If people are willing to pay 
this amount of money for this inventory. That's what that inventory is worth. And so, you know, people come to me and say like, oh, the, the, the inventory is too expensive or, you know, uh, impressions are too expensive. Clicks are too expensive. No, they're not. They're exactly as expensive as they should be based off of an organic ecosystem. If we're good capitalists, if you and I have both read yeah. Adam Smith and we subscribe to this market, whether or not you like it is a whole other story. But this is the philosophy. Yeah. This is the ethos. This is That's the foundation right. upon which all of us have to live. It's like saying it's too hot outside. What does that get you? What are we, what are we talking about here? You know what I mean? Still, if we got to break bricks right. and it's too hot outside, well, no, it's not. It's it's how hot it is. So now, do we That's find right. an umbrella? Do we move inside? Do we get air conditioning? Because you're not going to block out the sun. The price of traffic is the price of traffic. Now, we can have a whole discussion about traffic on the periphery and moving up the funnel and finding you know cheaper traffic, but that's actually not. That's a different topic of conversation, right? Because that that traffic is still what that traffic costs. You're just making, you're trading time for money. Because if you go up higher in the funnel, now you have to spend time dragging somebody down in the funnel. If you go on the periphery, now you have less traffic and it's less available. So traffic costs what traffic costs. The key is number one, knowing your numbers. And I'll give you a really good example. My business partner owns equity in a company that at present spends $30 to get a $30 client. They spend $30 and they get a client that pays them $30. And you think to yourself, dumbest business in the world. But nay, sir, here's what's interesting. (laughs) Those clients from a lifetime value perspective are probably worth, and, and it's a relatively new company, but from a business model perspective, they're probably worth about $1,500 because it's a consumable oh. industry and they know their numbers. So they know, hey, I can spend $30 in ads and somebody will pay me $30. And now what's really interesting about that, when you think about it is that's a free client, right? Spent 30, they paid 30. Yep. I'm actually, like you just yep. said, break even. So I can scale that business to the moon without running into cash flow issues. And the lifetime value of the client is, disproportionately large. It's a phenomenal business to be in, but so many small business owners who have their $30 product would be like, oh, I'd never spend $30 to get $30. I need to be profitable. And where we get really, really interesting is when you have the, 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 and I've seen this frequently as markets get more sophisticated, you have businesses that will spend $500 to sell $30, knowing that the lifetime value on a long enough timeline is a thousand, fifteen hundred, twenty-five hundred, fifty thousand, whatever it ends up being. You see this in insurance. The amount of money I, you know, people will come to me. I have from you know, we have two hundred clients um, across one hundred fifty some odd industries, and so I see a lot of the same uh, residential realtors or clients I'll never take. General dentistry's clients I'll never take. But but people selling life insurance, it's such a travesty, dude. Because the amount of money that life insurance salespeople make on one policy is zero, adjusted for margin of error. It's absolutely nothing. And what they don't wow. realize is the big insurance companies are willing to. They're willing to pay 10 times what they make on that policy because they know if I get your life insurance, I'm going to get your home, your auto, your umbrella. Your... And so there's, there's when you're dealing in efficient markets like that, it's not that the traffic is expensive. It's that your model is inefficient. So what we need to do is we need to find a more efficient model. The market is telling you what a customer costs. So now you have to find a model that allows you to serve that customer. I hope that wasn't too, too combative. So it's kind of looking at like repeat business or add-ons to your existing product. Yeah, that's exactly right. And well, I mean, when I look at, I'm investing in businesses now and I'm trying to grow a portfolio of companies and I won't, one of my rules uh, for myself is I won't do anything that doesn't have a recurring re- revenue component or a consumable component, which is more or less recurring revenue. It's the opportunity to achieve recurring revenue. Um, you know, if you look at some of these, like somebody comes to me and says, I sell fo- cell phone cases. You know, you're like, well, good luck. Like you sell something that costs $20 uh, 
gross, right? What's your wholesale cost and shipping? And if, assuming you're, you're paying for that, it costs 20 bucks. You make five maybe, and they buy from you once every two years if you're lucky and why on earth would they really come back to you? And we're not even talking about the cost of traffic. So I love, you know, high ticket's great, but even high ticket, there's, there's feast and famine with high ticket. I love recurring. I love consumable. I love knowing that I, I'm not, I'm paying for a customer one time that I'm going to have for a lifetime. And I think those are the models that I'd really niche down into and invest in. And, and to be frank, they're not inaccessible. You know, you might think to yourself, well, I don't have a recurring revenue model. And my challenge to you is, could you, could you have, you know, a membership, a continuity offer? You know, I mean, if you're selling something big, maybe there's something on the back end of it. If you're selling pencils, well, do mechanical pencils need pencil lead. And you might think to yourself, well, pencil lead is not a sexy business. That's okay. Dollar Shave Club sold for a billion dollars. Are razor heads sexy? No. No billion dollars because it's a consumable. And they knew, and dude, I mean, they were selling those razors for a buck. You think they were making their money on the front end? Hell no. Absolutely not. Right. But they had an efficient model and they knew on a long enough timeline, we're going to be able to recoup our costs. You have to be able to play that game from a cash flow perspective. But that's why knowing your numbers are so, so critically important. You know, being the average Joe customer, I buy into that because if, if I go somewhere and have a good experience, I'm going to go back. And I don't care if it costs me a little bit more because it makes all the difference in the world. I have the confidence to go back there and I know I'm going to get what I want. And I know I'm going to go back again as long as that I keep getting that same kind of return from that. We are the most totally brand loyal generation in the history of humanity. Um, I have no data to support that. That's my anecdotal observation. I just see it in, in people, yeah. in customers, in clients, in, the, in my clients' clients over and over and over and over again. Um, we're not, we're not, you know, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, man, that was a price shopping generation. Um, those are people that you yeah. can move with price. And now everybody's like, it's mission, vision, value. It's, it's community. It's making sure you like, you know, it's, it's brand, obviously. The amount of money that people will spend for brand. brand I mean, Warren Buffett's made all of his money on the, on the backs of brand. Warren Buffett invests yeah. in brand. Uh, and he talks about it on an ongoing basis. I mean, Coca-Cola, one of his biggest holdings. Apple, one of his biggest holdings. Those are companies that all of their value is in brand. You know, like you could never, ever in a billion years make the case that Coke tastes billions of dollars better than the generic Costco soda, <laughs> yeah. right? You could, obviously, obviously, <laughs> maybe it's like 10% better, but it's not, a, it's a trillion dollar brand, this damn thing. And so, yeah, we're a brand loyal, indoctrinated, uh, religiously committed, uh, multi-generational society. And you can earn and keep that brand loyalty. Uh, and, and dude, what's really funny is it's not even hard. Do good business. Do good business in the right oh, yeah. way with good people. Like do the right thing. And every now and again, it's going to get a little like, oh gosh, we made a mistake. Let's go make it right. But the brands and the companies that do that, goodness, does it pay dividends. I've, I've driven Hondas nothing but for the last 25 yeah. years. I, I, I will always buy yeah, a Honda. Yeah, you are. You're very brand brand loyal. We always talk about that. How you love that. <laughs> I drive I drive a forty year old. I drive a Honda Prelude, a nineteen eighty seven Honda Prelude. Well, look at really? that. That is a classic. I love that car. That was my one dumb purchase when I made my exit. You know, everybody else goes out and gets themselves like a, a Lamborghini or whatever, and I just wanted. Ferrari, that was my car when I was yeah. a kid. So, yeah, I went and snacked. Snack That's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah. Well, kind of tossing along those lines, you know, that thirty dollar investment. You know, one of the things, uh, you know. When it comes to like bidding strategies, are there any things that you have in your tool belt that you use for bidding strategies? What, what I'll say is, here's the problem. 
is if I tell you on this call right now today, um, you should be using, for instance, target CPA with no, or, or TCPA, uh, 24 hours from now it's gonna change. Um, you know, if I tell you use manual with enhanced enabled, uh, the issue, Naval Ravikant says something that I really love. He goes, I never give people advice on which stocks to purchase because then I have to be their best friend for the rest of their lives and talk to them 24 7, 365 and tell them when to sell. Because if I tell you when to buy, I have to tell you when to sell. And so maybe what I'd like to do, and I'm sorry, you guys keep asking me questions that I don't answer, but I'll, I'll offer a philosophy that I hope answers the question <laughs> instead. Um, the bid strategy is less important than your positioning as it pertains to your competitors okay. who are using that bid strategy. And here's, yeah, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be more specific and less annoying. We were the first agency really to spearhead Performance Max. That's a fact. We're the first agency to make it work. We're the first agency to teach everybody how to use it. Um, and Performance Max op uh, operates off of, of two bid strategies. Uh, and, and, and they expand because of the settings, but there's really two, right? It's TRO, it's TCPA. Um, here's what's really funny is in an e-com campaign, you would assume because it's e-commerce, you're going to use TROAS. The more people that were using TROAS, the harder that became, we switched to TCPA. And then we started teaching it. And then people switched over to TCPA. The more people that began using TCPA, the more commoditized that got. So then we switched to, and then we abandoned Performance Max entirely and we switched over to standard shopping uh, with manual bids. The, the key isn't finding the best bid strategy. The key is finding the bid strategy that nobody else is using because Google's not on your side. My book is called You Versus Google. Our mastermind is called You Versus Google. Right behind you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number one in advertising and marketing worldwide, no big deal. Um, and I'm, I'm <laughs> only being mildly arrogant because I, I, didn't, I didn't really write that book. Humble, humble yeah. flex. Humble uh, flex. <laughs> you versus Google is based on the paradigm that all of Google's recommendations are flawed because Google doesn't want you to win. Google doesn't want you to make money. They want to maximize the value of their inventory. Obviously, it's what I want to do. I want to maximize the value of my inventory. You want to maximize the value of your inventory. Google's a company like any other company. So imagine an auctioneer for a moment. This is a fun thought exercise. It's a fun way to think about Google. You imagine an auctioneer and that auctioneer knows exactly how much money each person who is bidding on something is going to make off of it. They know everybody who's willing to bid. They know exactly what those people are willing to pay. Um, and they know, historically speaking, how the competition is going to shift over time. You couldn't trust that auctioneer. Yeah. Right? That, that's price fixing by definition. There's no trusting. So the, the key there is to not play the auctioneer's game. So if you guys are all smart bidding on manual, if you all move manual, I go smart. Um, so be really careful anytime you hear thought leaders are like, oh, no, we use this tactic. Well, uh, you know, now you do. And it's going to work for 48 hours. Instead, and I, I'm still in this for my buddy, Jason Fladlin. Jason and I are business partners in the Driven Mastermind. Super, super brilliant guy. Wrote a phenomenal book called One to Many. If you watched, did y'all watch Alex Hermosi's book launch? I did not. That, that, that was the marketing Super Bowl. That was the best thing that's ever happened in the marketing world. Jason helped Alex plan that. Like Alex paid Jason for consulting multi-day um, to sit down and go through it. Like Jason's one of the smartest marketers in the world as evidenced by the fact that one of the, the best marketers in the world 
hires him for consulting. And Jason all the time will just denigrate the idea of like split testing, for instance. Um, Jason's like, look, you know, you split test red versus blue and red won. Great. Six months from now, if I try blue, blue will win. And Jason's real thesis seems to be, and I'm distilling this, he hasn't said this outright, but I've been on enough calls with him. We do, you know, a call every Wednesday with our mastermind members. Uh, just go against the grain. Go against the crowd. That's, you know, good marketing sometimes is just standing out. It's just Seth Godin's purple cow. Everybody's facing north, you face south. And, and now all of a sudden, if I'm looking at this crowd, whose face do I see? Right? I see 999,000 back of the heads, and then I see one face. So uh, bid strategy, bid caps, uh, messaging, funnels, offers, so much of it is just be unique, stand out, do something different. Don't allow yourself to be commoditized and, and, and fall into the grooves. Okay. That's, that's, that's amazing advice. Uh, you know, we, we, we ask these questions, and not only are you answering them, but you're just given, like, all this motivation. And, you know, so we definitely – Definitely appreciate it. Um, in the spirit of marketing and, and kind, kind of a pivot, um, we did mention that we would kind of talk briefly about AI, right? So I definitely uh -oh. wanted to kind of, kind of, yeah, right? Uh -oh. <laughs> Skynet, Skynet, right? <laughs> um, so I just kind of wanted to, to pick your brain in terms of um, like what trends you're seeing with, with AI, um, especially um, when it comes to like how it's reshaping industries. Um, you know, what we're seeing, how we're seeing a business, certain businesses um, adopt it um, and like what, what you're, you're seeing in the marketing field. Um, my, my, just to define terms, let's say, and set the mm -hmm. stage so we're all operating from the same plane of thought. Okay. My philosophical belief of uh, regarding AI, which I think is important to the discussion, I've never been more optimistic yeah. about humanity ever. Ever. I'm a card carrying prepper. I'm yep. sitting 15 feet from mm -hmm. a closet that has a year's worth of food in it. Like I, I, I believe in being prepared uh -huh. for who knows what. And if you look That's at right. AI, one of the most important economic factors, period, full stop is energy. Right. I mean, that's why the, the petrodollar is basically supported just by oil. And, and, and there's a whole, whole bunch of implications to that. Um, but if you look at um, the generation and distribution of energy, if you look at supply chain issues, if you look at the fact that we're about to have a population crisis and, and, and the distribution of, of resources based on that level of analysis, um, education, communication, AI, and, and this is the other thing, this isn't a hyperbolic statement. That's what's so amazing about it. AI solves all of that in, in probably yeah. 20 years. You know, like give it, give robotics time to catch up and, and, and solves every problem we have in 50 years, but it solves these massive, and, and as far as humanity is concerned, these are lifelong problems. These are problems that humanity's had since the beginning of humanity. And AI can, will, and does, like there's evidence of this, solve these problems. And so solve it. here's why I say that. Here's why I preface with that, which I know is annoying. Um, approach AI with optimism. Uh, because I think that AI can only make things better. Um, the key there, though, is it's a tool. It's not autonomous yet. I mean, maybe it will be. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Uh, and it's a tool that we have been using for publicly for like five years. Google search is AI driven. 
So this whole, like, yeah. I mean, ChatGPT came out and everybody saw an interface and like, oh my God, AI just launched. No, it didn't. You've been using AI for the last <laughs> decade. Anytime you engage with Google, that's AI. Anytime you engage with AI. Google ads has been AI driven. Uh, Facebook, the, the algorithmic display of content based off of your utilization, demographic, psychographic profiling factors, that's AI. We've had AI. We've been using AI. We've been exposed to AI. We've been profiled by AI. We've been engaging with AI. We've been talking to AI. Like AI has been a thing. Somebody just gave you a little window that allowed you to talk to it and all of us flipped our shit. So AI <laughs> yeah, is not new. Everyone's losing it now. Yeah. I, I do think AI is going to cost a ton of jobs. I mean, uh, OpenAI, the company that owns ChatGPT, did the largest study of universal mm -hmm. basic income ever conducted. There's a reason for that. You take some of the smartest people yeah. in, in Silicon Valley with the most money and the most visibility as to what's going to happen and what do they choose to waste their time on? A study on universal basic income like that. Obviously, there they're like, okay, guys, hey, we're gonna we're gonna cause a ripple and we're gonna want to be able to solve it. But I don't think it's I don't think it's blood in the streets catastrophic error. I think it's paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. And for marketers specifically, I'd be really careful about resting on your laurels. Um, what I'm hearing and seeing, I just did a, a, a perpetual traffic podcast interview with Ryan Dice, who's, who's one of the smartest marketers alive, right? Like, obviously. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I think that goes without saying at this point, like he's just achieved that sort of legend status. And the thing that Ryan said that resonated so deeply with me was if you look at the core facets of marketing, the most important facet of marketing is messaging, period, full stop. Like fulfillment's commoditizable, yeah. systemizable, automated. Um, funnels, uh, traffic, even I'm a traffic guy, uh, media management, buying, bidding, it's, it's messaging. Messaging is the thing that's a, the most important and b the most human. Here's, what's really funny. People are the first thing they're trying to abdicate to AI is messaging. The very first now, part of that is a byproduct of the fact that the tool that was given to us was a messaging tool. Had we been given a governance tool first or, you know, a creative like mid journey first, maybe it, the conversation would be a little bit different. But regardless of the why, they're trying to abdicate messaging. What's interesting about that is while the AI tool can accomplish tasks better than a human can, it's trained on the aggregate average. And if you go, I just did this. I was invited to speak in an event. They asked me for a title and I went to chat GPT and I asked it to give me a title based on my parameters. And then I had to spend 20 minutes workshopping the title. Now, wow. what I finally landed on, I thought was phenomenal, but chat GPT didn't give me a phenomenal output. I had to, I had to use it as a yeah, tweak in it. order to get, yeah, exactly. They say I had to tweak it. Right. So it was a great resource, but if I'd relied on it for the creativity, the guidance, the, you know, really understanding what do people want to hear? What should my message be about? What are the key takeaways and the points? What are they going to walk away knowing? Um, it would have been garbage. It would have been distilled garbage. And what's funny is yeah. everybody right now seems to be heading in that direction. They're not hiring content writers. They're firing them. They're like, oh, we'll just use ChatGPT. It's no big deal. Write your book with ChatGPT. Write your blogs with ChatGPT. And what's funny about that is it's not going to make content creation easier it's going to make it more important it's more going to make good yeah. content writers more potent you know that title i came up with i did in 20 minutes with chat gpt probably could have took, taken me a couple hours you know just to sit there and think yeah. but i had uh, this this fun little ai bot to think with so if you look at ai as a powerful powerful tool that can assist you your employees your staff like i, I think you're you're walking into an enabled future if you look at it as a full-scale replacement, we might get there, but we're not there yet. We're sure as shit not there yet.
and you're no going to question for you. Oh, Go ahead. Pardon me. Um, Come up, you know, talking about the AI piece and, and your use of it. I'm, one of the videos that you posted on YouTube, you talked about using AI um, to put, uh, perhaps it was a contract. You're looking at some real estate, I believe, in North Dakota. Yep. I buy all my houses in Fargo. Um, that's, that's the preference <laughs> of me, Peter. I got 20 doors in Fargo. <laughs> if you look it up, Fargo, North Dakota is the number one most recession-resilient recession uh, uh, piece of, of, of land, let's say, recession-resilient city in the continental United States. Yep. Oh, sorry, keep going. So you using that tool, then how much time do you, I mean, I'm guessing it saved you tons of time trying to review the document. Yeah. You dumped that into, what was it, uh, myaskai.com? Yeah, something like that. I forgot, I even forgot the URL now. It's funny, you you know it better than I do. But to, for anybody listening, I, there, was a, there was a real estate contract that was way too long. And I there's this really phenomenal AI tool that actually my VA found me online that... Um, <laughs> You, it will it will scan basically any PDF document and then and then synthesize it for you, uh, synergize it, let's say, and wow. then and then it gave me the bullet points. That was really cool. cool. I, I was really impressed when I was kind of going through doing a little bit of my homework. It's like first of all, I know Fargo pretty well. My mom's from North Dakota. Oh, cool. And so that kind of captured my attention. Yeah. So I, I was kind of curious to follow up on that as well. No, I, I love Fargo. I love awesome. the, I love the whole of the Midwest. I think that's you know that's still the heartland as far as I'm yeah, Midwest is a great. Uh, but you know, think place. about that example. That AI, it didn't tell yeah. me once it gave me the highlights of the contract. Like, are these terms good? Are they bad? Which of these bullet points do I negotiate on? Which of them do I not? Which you know where where's the the pitfalls? What am I worried about? How does this max up against the rest of my portfolio? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the AI didn't do the real estate transaction for me. Right, I'm buying a small apartment building. There's, I need to know is somebody buying multifamily units. I need to know multifamily. I need to know syndication. I need to know terms. I need to know interest rates. Like, there's all this stuff that I still need to know. And anybody who wanted to just rest that contract at the feet of AI, they're going to get screwed if they try to do that. Yeah. So great, great, great yeah. tool. But it's a tool and a resource. It's a tool on your tool belt. It's not like a replacement for a full scale entity or person or right. thought. Right. And I think uh, a lot of people are going down that path thinking that exact same thing. It's like, well, AI is going to take care. It's going to get rid of everything. I'm going to be out of a job. My family's going to be out of a yeah, job. I'm going to get out of my house. I, do, I see it in my clients. My clients are like letting good people go um, thinking like, oh, we'll just use AI. And in some ways it's working. You know, like we've got a, a client that I'll try to veil their identity so they don't hear this and get pissy at me. But um, they have a significant <laughs> number of products and they had a graphic design team that was taking those products and then putting them in specific contexts because it's really helpful for, especially for display advertising to be, to see your product in use. And the, they didn't need the design team because they were able to figure out how to do that with various tools. I don't think mid journey did it as well. I forget which one they're using, but one of those visual visualization tools, they basically automated the entire process and you look at it and you're like, yeah, that actually, that really kind of works. But what we're running into now is all of a sudden for the first time in a year and a half, they're getting compliance issues. And they're getting compliance issues because Google doesn't like showing body parts, even like a full thigh, even, a, you know, like there's a lot of just triggers that a person can be taught and knows and the AI can be yeah. taught over time. But, but again, that's where we get into that. Hey, there was a, there was a middle ground here and you missed it. Maybe having half the team to, yeah. you know, monitor, review and approve these images and teach the AI how to, how to improve upon them instead of, instead of, instead like, of letting everybody yeah, go. wholesale acts yeah. the world. And then you just got one poor guy there that there's too many images for him to look over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, so it sounds like, it sounds like there's um, still obviously a need for that human interaction. Like, so 
there's not there's not going to be blood blood in the streets just like you mentioned uh right everyone can relax you know there's got to be some sort of happy medium where we can still use this powerful tool it's not going to replace everyone's jobs right that that's kind of the, the mindset you're in I, I think that there will be i think that there will be significant shifts in where labor is required you know i mean the the, the obvious okay. and easy example yeah. is uber and lyft uh uber yeah. and lyft yeah. are together the largest employers in the united states outside of the u.s government if they're allowed to be considered wow. employers which is something that they're fighting really hard um yeah. autonomous vehicles <laughs> are now are now and they don't need to sleep they don't need and they don't make mistakes you know, what if 40, 50,000 people a year die in car accidents, if we had hundred percent autonomous vehicles, that number would probably drop to like seven, right? Adjusted, like there'd be, there'd be wow. some anomalies, but, um, you'd save lives, you'd save money. 99% of cars are, are at stasis at any given time. You're only using your car for like about an hour a day, even if you're a heavy commuter. So I think autonomous vehicles are the only thing stopping them is legislation. Uh, the only thing, I mean, they're, they're already technologically capable. They're already more efficient. An autonomous vehicle, even though it's a little bit more expensive, is less expensive than a normal vehicle and a driver and insurance and liability. Um, they're more fuel efficient, obviously. Um, and if you could pull people together from a resource management perspective, imagine a vehicle that was separated into pods. And it's like, dude, these four people are going generally in that direction on a daily basis because they have the same commute paths. Instead of four different vehicles, I just put you into one but with enough separation that it's, you know, it's comfortable because we don't like being close to other humans for whatever reason. So if that takes place and I can't see a future where it doesn't, every Uber and Lyft driver is out of a job. So we're truck drivers, taxi cab drivers, school bus drivers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Now, I don't want to say that that's not a problem because it is. And, and from an industry perspe specific perspective, it's just like manufacturing leaving the United States when it did. Um, it's, it's like any other shift. Uh, I don't think we're looking at a John Steinbeck novel where there's, you know, roving bands of graphic designers crawling the streets begging for, you know, we'll work for a sandwich. But I do think that people should pay very close attention to where labor markets move um, and, and, and don't get romantic about how they make their money. The, the counter argument to the Uber and Lyft discussion is the fact that I can't walk into a, any retail strip and not see now hiring signs at like 25 bucks an hour. It's unbelievable. Right. My freaking grocery store, dude. It's like my grocery yeah. store is hiring baggers yes. at 25 bucks an hour or stalkers. And there's a bunch of things. Till robotics catch up, there's a bunch of things that like, you know, that's more or less analogous to an Uber and Lyft job. Um, exactly. Hopefully it doesn't sound dismissive. So I won't say that there aren't going to be disruptions. I think there are going to be disruptions. But I think AI is going to help more than hurt. And the people that it hurts, sadly, and we don't have to have this discussion if you don't want to, but it's going to be emerging nations. You know, like that's yeah. always, yeah. always where most of the, the pressure is felt is at the bottom. And yeah. so if we need to mitigate risk and help anybody, those, those are the people that we should think about helping. You know, talking about the autonomous vehicles, I, I, I've been somewhat apprehensive about that just because in the early days, it didn't seem like it was like really quite there. But my wife made a very good point to me. She goes, I look forward to that day because look at the other people on the, on the road. Look at all the distracted drivers. Look at the people all looking at their phones as they're driving down the road. It was terrifying. And that's when I did a complete 180. Yeah. It's like, you are spot on correct. Yeah. I love driving. I love getting behind the wheel of a car and driving. Yeah. Yeah. It's the other people on the road that I worry about now. Yeah. Well, most people, you know, they say that looking at your phone is worse than driving drunk. Because at least if you're driving drunk, oh, yeah. you're paying attention. So, so bad for you. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you're trying really hard to stay straight. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. right. So I'm looking forward to autonomous yeah. vehicles too. And you know, that's a fun, that's a fun lead domino to think about because uh, I forgot what the data point is. It's something like even at the heaviest traffic, only 30% of the surface is covered, which means, and that's wow. just because we have to keep such a separation. If it's a computer driving, that separation isn't necessary. And so now traffic yeah. becomes more efficient. Um, which means timelines become more efficient. You don't need massive parking garages. Homes don't need garages. You don't need all this huge driveway. You don't need, you know, roads that are quite the same size. Like there's all these things that we don't need. And so like just, yeah. just the garages, just to use that one example, what do we do with our garages? You've got every single family home in the continental United States has a two-car garage. Now we have this excess yeah. real estate. Like that's a fun business opportunity to think of. So now you're not an Uber and yeah. Lyft driver anymore. But what if you started a, a, a business where you convert garages to man caves? Hell yeah. You know, like now we're cooking. This is fun. Like that sounds like a I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for that. Right? And, and, and people don't need the garage because they don't need the cars. That. So like there's just a ton of – it's every shift, you know, it's just like it's just like it's displacement. It's, the, it's, a, it's a law of physics it's going to push things in other ways and we're going to have we're going to have opportunity but you have to be receptive and open to it and that is the thing that scares me when i look at the labor market here and i'm about to say a bunch of things that are going to get me canceled when i look at the labor market here and i and i compare it to the labor market i see nationally because i I hire internationally a lot i have 100 employees and and 80 percent of them are outside of uh the united states um the international labor market is more accessible amenable agreeable a bunch of other $12 words as it relates to yeah. being proactive, nimble, flexible, creative. Like it's, there's, dude, I've never heard an international employee tell me that's not my job. But the number wow. of times, man, I love this country. You know, my, 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 my family goes all yeah. the way back to the 1600s. We're related to Thomas Jefferson. He wrote the freaking constitution. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a red, right. white, and blue fan, but that means that I get to hold it to a standard. And the number of times I've heard a red, white, and blue Telling me, oh, that's not my job. That's not my job description, you know, or like, or just, you know, right at five, clock out. Can't even get them on Slack. Um, yeah. They're going to have a tough time competing in that space. So I think that we need to be yeah. a little bit more receptive to the idea that, hey, you just became really replaceable in certain industries. Let's start maybe paying attention to where the margin of improvement sure. is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that that's, no, that that's definitely... Something to think about, um, you know, that again, you know, just start, start to finish really all of your advice and all of your, your feedback, whether we're talking about like Google ads and different strategies and all the way through AI, right? Just different perspectives that you want to have. And, you know, there, there's all these different thought processes, uh, especially when it comes to AI, but, you know, definitely great feedback and uh, we appreciate it. To be respectful of everybody's time right now, uh, we kind of lead into the uh, exit here. Um, so on that point right there, on one final note, are there any tips or tricks that you want the audience um, trying out heading into 2024? Anything advertisers should be aware of focusing on? I think that the the new emphasis should be growing community. It used to be like, I just give me a customer and I'll take that customer and they'll give me money and then I'll move on and now give me another customer. And that assembly line model, it's so inadequate and it puts you at this massive disadvantage. Instead of a customer, Think of them as a new member of your community. And I don't care what you sell. You're like, I sell loose leaf tea. Great. This person's interested in loose leaf tea. You know a lot about them now. That's a lot to know about a human, right? There's a lot that you can infer there. And so how is it that you can draw them into your community, love on them, treat them like, make them feel like they're actually home. And you can do that with whatever. You can do that with SaaS. You can do, that's what you're doing on this podcast. The podcast is a community. You're building a community. 
So businesses need to think about themselves as community because with the community, when somebody's a community member, when you have a member base, that's a well from which you can draw on a frequent basis. When you just have a customer, there's not a lot of equity in that relationship. Um, and I'm a paid traffic guy telling you that I don't think paid traffic is the way of the future. I think it's a tool, but the real emphasis should be on community building, which means really giving first. Communities, relationships, relationships are built on systems of reciprocity where you give first. Give first, give more, give last. And that's easy to do. We do it on podcasts, YouTube channels, social profiles, um, you know, obviously memberships, but build a community for yourself and for your business. And, and, and I think you'll see very quickly that it pays dividends. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. That community we could also apply toward places that we live. We need to rebuild some yep. of our community. Oh, dude, yeah. I, I think it's, right. it's the tragedy of the Western civilization is that we've, we've uh, technologi technologicized ourselves. I just invented that word. Technologized? Yeah. There we go. Technologized ourselves out of the need <laughs> for human interaction, for community. Like community yeah. was such yeah. a necessity for so long just for survival. And the minute it became the minute it, 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 we were in a position where we didn't need community to survive, we abandoned it. And now I think that's the one, like, dude, that's the hole in everybody's hearts. I'm in four yes. masterminds. Yeah. I own one of them. Like, why, why would anybody do that? It's because you're starving. You're dying for community. We're all dying for community. And in and, and a lot of businesses, some are more set up for that than others. But every business in some way can, can feed that, that ethos. Well said, man. So I think you, for all the listeners, everyone listening, you guys heard it, community. Right. You know, just like you said, give first, give early, give often. Right. That's definitely a great message. You know, whether you're a marketer, just like you mentioned, a SaaS company. Um, and again, that's, you know, a big reason why we do this podcast. Right. Is to build that relationship, um, share knowledge, you know, and, and really continue to build our community. So, um, Kasim, this has been awesome, man. Is there anything that um, speaking of community, right, uh, that you want to plug when it comes to your community? Uh, whether it's your your podcast, you know, any, any type of services that, that you're offering, anything that, that you want to plug before we before we get out yeah, of here? If you want Google Ads help, go look up Solutions 8. I think we're the best Google Ads agency in the world. I don't own it any longer, but I know I can trust the guys that bought it. I'm still the CEO of the company. There you go. I'm still a fan. I'm, I'm the awesome. co-host of Perpetual Traffic. Uh, I'm the co-owner of Driven Mastermind. Uh, we've got a great YouTube channel at Solutions 8 um, where we shoot a video every day. So it's it's pretty hard not to find me or engage with me on some level, assuming that you'd want to do that for whatever reason. And it is postpartum me still out there for sale? Yeah, it's my little wife's book. She, My wife is a brilliant, brilliant human, wrote a book called on postpartum depression. Um, and, and interestingly, she's about to potentially launch a community for um, expectant moms uh, to give them a, a place yeah. to go and then be also maybe a sense as to what, what to expect, because, um, we still do a really bad job of that, which is funny considering that pregnancy might be the, the thing that humans have done the longest. Um, yeah. there's still not, you know, there's still not as much support as there could be. So I appreciate you bringing that up, Peter. Thank you. Awesome. And I think well, thank you, Carson, man. It's, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. We appreciate you uh, blessing us with, with the wisdom and knowledge here and sharing and taking the time to chat with us today. Um, definitely look forward to chatting again. And uh, for all the listeners, thanks for, for tuning in to the Smart Raw Podcast and hope you guys have a great day. Thanks, fellas.